It's the Dick and Ham Show. It's Hugh, David, and Andrew coming to you live. It was sponsored this week by Sile and Sile Accountants and by the Dick and Ham Boner. Best ham boner <laughs> a man or a woman can buy. So, gents, emotional. Eddie Van Halen, dead at 65. Ranch, you're, you're a resident expert on so many things. But uh, before being an expert on, on all these other topics, rock was really your first pet area that you, uh, that you owned and knew and, and, and lived so emotion you're also one of the, you know one of the biggest van halen fans any of us know emotional oh look yeah i mean it's sad that obviously he's he's gone but he like he'd been really sick for a long time he'd had i think tongue cancer and then you know lung cancer and it's it's actually even unclear what sort of cancer he had you know that's actually you know kind of you know sent him on his way um but it, look yeah it's it's sad but you know the the band itself had been you know not really doing very much for a, a long time and he had been very much recluse just because of his illness and some um, it, it is what it is but you know plenty of good media and stuff today when interestingly though boots and i um had tickets to what turned out to be the final ever van halen concert in um at, at the hollywood bowl in 2015 i went along boots stayed at home to listen to the grand final <laughs> <laughs> the, the AFL grand final between Hawthorne and, and Fremantle. Uh, West Coast. West Coast. West Coast. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So you saw, you saw Van Halen's last ever concert. Mm-hmm. That's right. I've got heaps of video I took on my phone from from that night, and it, it, it was good. So they played with with Roth, and he was he was really good. He's a great performer, but his voice was a bit shattered. And the overall performance was probably only only just okay but it was it was really good to good to see them in their in their hometown and yeah just i suppose weird that it turned out to be their last show but yeah boots you know spent money on the ticket and i got to stretch out there was plenty of room next to me <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously kicking himself now for for not oh, making I'm, the, I'm sure the, the look i mean call. he he um he got to hear how well i think cyril rioli played that day so i think he's i think he's you know it's even basically Cyril was good that day. Sam Sam Mitchell was good. I was there at that game, and uh, yeah, Cyril was was very good. I, I made a trip home for Dad's seventieth, and I finagled my way into tickets, and he and I went to that game. And uh, Cyril, Cyril was really good. He, he but Sam Mitchell was actually probably one of the better Hawthorne players to never win a Norm Smith because he was actually better. But Cyril's just so much more exciting that that he's always going to win it. But on on the topic of Van Halen, I mean, where do you? Is it even worth ranking guitarists? Like, what, maybe it's not about who's better than whom, but what's his what's his, what's his, what's his legacy? Bill, Bill Simmons' pyramid of guitarists, Ranch. This could be your oh, thing. Is he the LeBron not. of guitarists or not? That's the question. <laughs> no, but I mean, so it's not about ranking. But what's what's his legacy as a guitarist, uh, and and Van Halen's yeah. legacy as a band? Look, I think um, I think Van Halen's legacy is you know, really kind of Eddie's legacy. I mean, you know, they, they were obviously a, a, a huge band um, and, you know, they always had a fairly kind of eccentric and, and flamboyant front man first with Roth and then with Hagar. Um, no one talks about Sharon. It was only one album in the nineties. It doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the band itself would, would not have really been who they were without Eddie and, it's I mean, everyone loves ranking stuff and you know in reading some of the articles that came out today like many many of them reference the the rolling stone top 100 guitarists of all time list that they did a number of years ago and look they i i feel like they probably had him a bit low they had him at eight which you know i think is behind whom uh, hendrix hendrix obviously but who else like eric clapton or something yeah, yeah, like you know, many of the people you would expect. So you know, Clapton was there. Um, Jimmy Page was there. Um, Tony Iommi, no, um, Wanger. 
was wanger. No, didn't make didn't make the list. He might have been at hundred and one. I think Wanger was the lead guitarist from Hughes Band, and he could cook. We all we, we all saw him cook. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> nice guy. But they, they had like Jeff Beck in there, which I don't really understand. They had B.B. Um, uh, King, which is, you know, he's a wonderful guitarist and stuff. And, um, oh, my God, someone else who, whose name I just can't remember. Chuck Berry, maybe. And, look, that's that, that's all fine. It's obviously you're, you're splitting hairs a little bit. For me personally, I, I think that list probably weighs, you know, as much on overall you know, kind of legacy in terms of, you know, the soul in which they played and perhaps they're trying to get some diversity in in some of the music types to get some more of the, the classic blues guitarists in there. But, you know, to me, I think um, whilst it's obviously subjective, I think it's incredibly difficult to not have Jimi Hendrix at one because if you think about, well, I think about three different things. I think about, you know, the the the, the technical execution and the skill related to playing. I think about the soul in which they played. And I think about, you know, for me, the, the innovation that they brought. And Hendrix, I think, is kind of 10 out of 10 on all of those things. You know, some of those other players that are listed there that they probably had ahead of Van Halen, I don't necessarily think are that high on the scale of innovation, whereas Eddie was kind of the next kind of paradigm shift after Hendrix, I think. And so, so, um, so that's what I want to ask you. So from a technical point of view, how emulated or how, how important was the way he played guitar to the bands that came after Van Halen? Yeah, oh, look, I, I think, um, you know, kind of every, every you know, hard metal slash, you know, uh, hard rock band, I think, since 1978 has been trying to be Eddie Van Halen really in terms of kind of what they're playing. So like, you know, the typical guitar solo, like the face melting guitar solo that like everyone Slash, kind of for example, of. everyone knows who Slash is. How, how would you say he would oh, be influenced by a guy like Van Halen? Yeah. Yeah. Look, he, he would be, but he, he's probably got more of a, a blues kind of style. So he was probably like, I would think he's probably more influenced by a, by a Jimmy Page type guy. But you know, you think about the classic face melting kind of uh, guitar solo, like that sort of stuff that Sam always goes on about like that, that is basically Eddie Van Halen playing and, and everyone else tries to tries to be like him in terms of like the speed you know, tapping using the right hand and then kind of using, you know, two-handed tapping and, you know, all this all this sort of stuff, the sound he got, everything. So, you know, his legacy is absolutely, you know, in, in my mind, unmatched in terms of in terms of rock music. Hendrix is probably kind of in between a little, little bit more kind of, you know, more on the blues side and all those other guys we mentioned are obviously wonderful guitarists as well. But for me personally, I would have him number two behind Hendrix. Well, I've always liked Nathan Cavalieri. He was he was great. I I thought of that kid the other day as well. That's an amazing uh, amazing callback. I wonder what happened to that kid. You know, good good luck to him out there. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's going okay. Sometimes those stories have happy endings. Sometimes they don't. The Late Show. We were speaking about the Late Show before. They had a kid on called Piffy who played the bells, and it was this sort of very. <laughs> very sort of flamboyant young blonde fella who was very good at the bells and they tracked him down as a 20 year old and he played them again and he was he was happy <laughs> as larry you know it turned out great for piffy so maybe maybe nathan cavalier is the same i can only imagine piffy got teased a lot at school it sounds like it sounds like he oh, did yeah. flamboyant yeah. plays the bells yeah, yeah. I, think, piffy. I think he played the bells from inside his own locker quite a lot because <laughs> he'd been, st- <laughs> been stuffed in there and locked in there and the bells kept I've him got a feeling he might have been I mean, kicked and punched in the bells quite a few times, if I uh, had to guess. Possible. But Ranch, the, the thing I noticed about, um, t- two things. Firstly, um, 
my favorite music journalist, I don't follow many music journalists at all, but Chuck Closterman, who's always been my favorite music journalist, he, he did like a sort of a snap reaction podcast today with our best buddy, Bill Simmons. And it's really good. This, the stuff he says is, is I should listen to that. It's, it's just off the cuff, but he knows so much about that type of music and that band that everything he says, just like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's really true. But he talked a bit about the tone. Um, I mean, he said a few things. He said that he was sort of a complicated and weird guy and he was very, yep. had a strange relationship with all of these musicians who were influenced by him. Like there were in- interviews where he claimed he couldn't name a single Guns N' Roses song and he'd never listened to Metallica and he didn't, didn't know who Radiohead was and like all this really unusual, weird stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. but, but the other thing Closeman said, and you notice it when you play these, these solos in isolation is the tone like that's a, I guess, is every guitarist striving for a, for a, a tone like that or just for a unique tone? Because that's such an unmistakable sound. Like if you listen to this, this, the solo from beat it by Michael Jackson, which he played for free for no, uh, no royalties, by the way, you listen to that and it couldn't be anybody. He thought he could hide it from the rest of the band, but it, so he did it in secret, but you, you cannot mistake that not even just playing, but the tone of it. Um, how important was that? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, much like the way he played really differentiated himself and the band from every other sound and then inspired millions, um, his tone was certainly part of that as well. It's not like he was just taking a, a, a Stratocaster and plugging it into a Marshall amp or something like that. Like he he kind of, you know, built his, you know, famous guitar, the Frankenstein guitar, um, literally just out of you know, parts that he tracked down from many different sort of suppliers and, and, and old guitars and things like that. And it looked like you know, trash really, but um, that, that kind of, you know, contributed to the sound. And, and look, there's probably an element here of, you know, de- um, deciphering the, tr- the fact from fiction too. Like, you know, his claims that he's never heard a Metallica song or whatever, like that's, that's kind of classic Eddie Van Halen. Like he always loved to say, you know, stuff that you, I, I just don't really believe, you know, he, he would, he would say a lot of things just because he wanted to be different, I think. Um, and so like, yeah, he was a weird and complicated guy. That's absolutely true. So, you know, like, you know, he, his guitar certainly kind of played a role, but also like he kind of hand built his amplifiers and stuff too, which really, you know, meant that he had this unmistakable sound. You know, in, in later years, PV and a bunch of other manufacturers got on board and had kind of signature um, guitars and signature amps that, you know, were, were very, very good amps and are very good amps. They kind of claim that you can kind of get that sound with it. But I don't know, I, I remain a little unconvinced because, you know, like the, the way you get a tone is a bit through the guitar you're playing, a bit through the amp, but it's a hell of a lot to do with the actual player as well. And, you know, like how they hold their hands and their fingers and, 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 and how they attack the strings and stuff like that too. So um, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a massive part. We're not too silly to say that if, if that, if that, if that sound didn't sound like it did, Van Halen may not necessarily be, you know, as, as, as big as they were. Yeah. I guess the thing that was in his favor that was completely not due to talent was Van Halen's basically the coolest name for a rock band you could get. It happened happened to be his and his brother's name. I guess they were Dutch, were they? It's, It's a very Dutch sounding. Yeah. Yeah. They were. You couldn't actually make up a cooler sound sounding word combination for a rock band, so that was that was helpful. Look, well, they had a few different names, um, none of which were as cool. The first one was the Broken Combs, um, so not cool. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's not great. Um, the second one was uh, was Mammoth, and they were actually going to be called Mammoth until 
like fairly kind of late in the piece, as I understand it, um, before they kind of found out this another local band was called Mammoth. So they just changed it to Van Halen and the rest is history. I'm always shocked at how big the video game industry is. Like you compare the size of that in terms of revenues versus like the movie industry. And it's like five times bigger, which because none of us are gamers, you don't even, you wouldn't even dream of that, but it's, um, it's kind of shocking. And then you try to watch esports, and then you realize it's dumb and you can't watch esports. But like, I, 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 the, the the prize money related to esports is just, it's insane. I, I, I forget what podcast it was, but I was listening to something this week and like, you know, the, the grand prize at some of these esports events is like many times what like Djokovic would have won at the Australian Open this year. Like it's, it's fucking crazy. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it, to be honest. Like you can't fight screens. You can't keep kids away from the internet and you shouldn't try to. You need to just somehow balance it properly. But to get that good at get gaming, it just doesn't seem like a healthy pursuit given how much time you need to spend hunched over and clicking and typing on your colourful keyboard and sitting in your chair with the, with the LED lighting around the edge of it. It just doesn't seem like the best way to spend your years as a, as a 16 through 24-year-old. Yeah, just get into speed cubing. That's where the real money is. Yeah, you know, that's yep. exactly right. Yep. You know, you say that, but then we all watched we all watched and enjoyed King of Kong, which was pretty much about the exact same thing. So, you know, maybe it's got its merits. That's true. But I, I think that's maybe more niche though. And there's something about it that's the way current gaming is, it's it's so addictive and so immersive that it's a world that you could get stuck in forever. Whereas you can't actually get completely stuck in the world of Donkey Kong because it's it's a great game and you have you could play it for hours and hours but it's not going to be your entire life um, unless you're one of these five guys who who were very unusual and made it their entire life i feel like we're verging very close to grumpy old man territory here aren't we bloody kids these <laughs> days and their their video games and back in my day donkey kong he's just a monkey on barrels isn't he you jump over it there's up there's down there's, there's left the, and right that's the what hook. else do you need do you remember the hook he used to grab it Get the keys, and it was probably great. That's true. Now, Ranch, we were just uh, when I was about to welcome you back, we were joking last week on the podcast that uh, that's about to come out. I have to talk to the editors; they've been a bit slow this week. But uh, that, that you and you and Boots... so by the time this one comes out, Eddie Van Halen, they will have found a cure for all these cancers, and you'll be alive yeah, again. The way the editing goes, <laughs> yeah. I have a new album out. And I said, "Gee, I can't use that whole bit." But uh, no, we were joking that you and you and Boots' controversial decision to sleep because you've been watching so much NFL instead of mm-hmm. uh, instead of joining. We, we argued that you were going to have to make your way back through the minor leagues before you earned your spot back. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought it might involve having to just write letters to the mailbag until until we decided. Yeah. I was going to say, what's what's more, what's more minor than this? People with just like three listeners, or or what? <laughs> hey, well, hey, we agreed hey, that the the, oh, the main oh. thing that was the the introductory league was Johnny McEwer's hockey podcast. So you'd have to spend right. a few weeks there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for the for the the topics we wanted to cover this week, uh, it's obviously a lot happening in the in the world of sport. Boots obviously is is our guy for the most part when it comes to sport detail and minutia. But without him, we can still talk about it. NBA finals will just brush over, but it's looking very, very positive for the LA Lakers. I don't want to put the moz on them, but congratulations in advance for what will most likely happen. Uh, and, and they're 17th, Jesus. I believe, title. You are ju- that is just that Jesus, is cold that and is, brutal and heartless, isn't it? That is a, they're gonna win. That is a, a roasting hot take to they're just drop that in. That just is, the jinx. Yeah, the jinxes upon jinxes right now. 
Now, the jinx would have been is if Boots travelled over to watch it because, as we know, every time he does that, they they lose. Um, And uh, I guess it's a non-issue now because you can't travel anywhere. But um, no, they've got to win one out of three games. They've got the two best players, and it turns out the rest of the guys are complete stiffs and they've started to play okay. So they're just going to win. And and Miami's got three good players. One of them's at eighty percent, and the third guy, um, Goran Dragic, is I think he's out for the rest of the series so they're, they're not going to do it they've got they've got this young 20 year old kid who, who's just has massive balls and that's that's cool but that's not going to be enough to win your title is that a hero is that yeah is that, is that right hero. yeah he's, he seems pretty he's good. gone missing a little bit though in the, the he, uh, he was doing he's the sort of guy who if like the whole world depended on him hitting a shot from half court like yep sure i'll make that no problem and just take it without even breaking a sweat he may not make it but he's that's the sort of confidence level he has cool it's name pretty, too it's pretty extreme tyler hero yeah i know well Great, great segue, Ranch, because speaking of cool names, I want to quickly talk about the French Open, everybody's fourth favorite Grand Slam tennis tournament and being played at a different time of year. So it's it's a slightly different event in that it's kind of chilly and like visually it's odd. Everyone's playing in like full thermal looking gear almost, which is a bit weird. Um, there's a Something's happened at that tournament that I don't think has happened in a generation and I'm not sure when it will happen again. There's a guy who... He just lost overnight in the quarterfinals to Nadal, which there's, there's no shame in losing to Nadal, whose French Open record is 104 and two. Um, and he, he's just the best clay court player that will ever live. The guy, speaking of cool names, his name is Yannick Sinner, which is just two cool names put together. And the thing that's unusual about this guy is that he's, he's from the top north of, of Italy, which is um, more known for skiers. I think uh, Alberto La Bomba Tomba, Andrew, is from this part of Italy. Um, yep. look, look him up if you want to see some great skiing. Um, it's just a guy who's built like Dermot Brereton who was inexplicably good at skiing and he was he, uh, he was a character. Anyway, that's where this Yannick Sinner guy is from. And the thing that's unusual about him is that he had not won a professional match in juniors or seniors until March 2018. He'd never won a match until March 2018. And since then, he has... Uh, and there's a bit of a... There's a bit of a a trick to that in that he deliberately didn't play juniors. He just started playing low level senior events as early as he possibly could. And he just got his ass kicked the whole time. And he, so he didn't win any type of match until March, 2018. And since then he's, he's become an absolute top talent. He won the year end um, championships for, for talents under 21, like literally all the best tennis players under 21 in the world were there and he beat all of them. And he since he just beat the guy who was the finalist in the U.S. Open like two weeks ago, and I just I was of the of the the school that it was impossible to get good enough at tennis unless you you start because he also didn't start playing until he was thirteen. He skied until he was thirteen, so he didn't even start playing until he was thirteen years old. So and I was of the school of thought that was that was just impossible. Um, so. It's a name to to remember because if he's managed to get this good, having such a late start and having zero exposure to junior tennis, then he he must be some sort of talent. That backstory almost sounds like like what you'd expect from you know the Mister T character from Rocky Three or something. Like just went to the school of hard knocks and got the shit kicked out of him every single week, every single <laughs> match, just so he could learn the pain and he'd never go back there again. Like that's kind of what that sounds like, right? Club of Lang of tennis. Yeah, is the bane the bane of tennis? Grew up hitting a ball against a wall in a hole, and then he comes out. He's the top talent. It somehow whatever he did, it it, it worked for him. 
So, uh, so that's, that's something, but, um, so that's the French. There's also a, there's a 19 year old Polish girl who's, who's hasn't lost a set. And so I'm, I'm happy to see a new generation of tennis players finally starting to, to happen. I mean, I know this guy lost to Nadal, but I mean, you, you can't expect a complete miracle from a guy who's, who's only just started actually winning, but, uh, it's, it's time, it's time for there to be some new blood and I'm, I'm happy to see some of these guys stepping up. What the French is still the French. They're up to the semis now. Um, okay, cool. So I, I think one thing I'd say about these sort of unknowns coming up, it's perhaps a little easier with no crowd. If you're an underdog, I think the top players are so used to these big stadium courts and they're so used to big crowds and the dynamic of it, that it's, it's in your favor. If, if you're a bit, a bit less experienced to not have to worry about any of that stuff. You just, you're just playing as if you're playing a practice match. And I think that's maybe part, a little part of it anyway, is that it's, it's less intimidating than it would be to be playing Nadal in front of a full stadium and, you know, shitting yourself that you're going to get embarrassed because you know, I guess you're still on TV, but it's, it's just something that's not the same about not having a crowd. And so who's, who's, who's still there from the men's you got Nadal is Djokovic still there? Yeah, he's there. And the, the guy who just won the French, uh, whose name is team this Austrian guy has got a, an amazing game. He, he actually lost overnight to a, to an Argentinian called Diego Schwartzman. So Probably those those three guys, Schwartzman, Djokovic, and Nadal are in it. But I mean, as long as Nadal is fit, you just you can't really beat him on this on these courts with these heavy balls that that really bounce up. Um, you just can't you just can't beat him. So at, at one point he'll stop playing, and then someone else will win it. That's that's kind of the way I, the way I see it. But look, I, I'm a fan. Unbelievable I, I, record. Yeah, it's brilliant. yeah, it's it's crazy. But uh, so that's the French. Uh, Andrew, how's it? How's the feeling on your side? The uh, the Saints, great win. Uh, yeah, look, it was a win, which I guess we'll take. I'll take a win of a final with um, with the list we've got. Put some runs on the board, but uh, it's going to be a pretty tough ask this week. We lost Ryder, which was devastating for him and for you know the supporter base because uh, he's very important to us. Um, Carlisle's gone off to support his wife in the birth of their, one of the children and um, who's incredibly important for us as well. And uh, Long, who's been really, really quite serviceable this year, is out on suspension. So uh, three, you know, genuine starters down. Um, so, it's almost yeah, just like any, any player who's had a connection to Essendon in one way, shape or form just, you know, abandons <laughs> their team true. or something. Like it's, it's yeah, yeah. strange. strange. Yeah, if, I find out, if I find out they're all talking to Brisbane about a trade uh, and that's the reason that they're not playing, I'll be pretty unhappy. <laughs> so you've, no, I, you've I, raised I, a topical point there, Hugh, and I, I don't know if you've oh. done it on purpose. We're trying to gloss over it, but it's been a rough day to be an Essendon supporter which is not the first time that you've had to say that over the last 10 or 12 years. It's been a rough 14 years to be an incident supporter in fairness, but uh, look, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a discussion for another day. I think, you know, it'll be, it'll be a long, hard road. You know, look, like we, we don't need to go into detail about it, but you know, obviously, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty critical of the Essendon, organization um but you know up until this week i've usually been able to kind of have a bit of a smirk and a smile on my face while i kind of crank on about them but like at this point i'm just i'm so it's just it's so listless like you know you know on on one hand um you know they spent a lot of draft capital a few years ago to bring in players around um the likes of joe danaher while guys like hooker and hurley were still you know pretty good um to really have a swing at at a at a at a a flag or at least a finals win or something 
and Danaher's been injured ever since, right? So like there, there's an element there of perhaps a bit of bad luck, perhaps mismanagement, I frankly don't know. But, you know, like we've basically lost any window. It's gone. And now the, now the rats are deserting a sinking ship. Now, to me, that speaks a bit to culture and things. But like we're in a situation now where we haven't had a first-round draft pick in three years. Like many, many of our players are leaving. And there's just a whole generation of players just not coming through. So it's going to be a long, hard road. But, you know... Who knows? Maybe we can get some good draft picks out of this and and build a, a nucleus of of players. But you know, I think it's going to be there's going to be a few pretty rough years ahead, a um, few more rough years ahead for for people who like the Essendon Football Club. So it's the main issue, and and I'm not saying this is why up. I just haven't been following this um, this whole thing. Is the main issue other than the fact that he was in, injured and you haven't gotten much out of him that by leaving now instead of leaving earlier you're getting less or possibly nothing for him whereas if he if you had have traded him um then you would have gotten something is that is that the main thing that's sort of oh no no no. so 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 he he was an um, unrestricted free agent last year um who was contracted and look for any number of reasons he said that he didn't want to be at and he wanted to be traded to sydney right um you know saying that you know he didn't want to be in the melbourne bubble and what the irony um yeah i know right um uh, none of us do mate um so <laughs> look i i think um so look it, it's not so much that essendon stuck to their guns and said well he's a contracted player and he's really important to us so you know unless you guys are going to give us you know um lots of you know bounty and, and gold bullion we're not going to trade him um and we didn't um you know he, he uh, there was a, a theory or a feeling that if he got back out on the field this year and was able to play then he might you know, back, might, I don't know, whatever, start enjoying his footy again. Um, and look, who knows if that happened and who knows whether that made a difference or who knows whether it just didn't at all. Um, but, you know, here we are and he still wants to leave. So, you know, we would only be assuming as to what the reasons are. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that there's been a lot of players seemingly who want to leave. Adam Saad is, is the other one this week, which is just kind of equally as bad, you know, like the guy was at the Gold Coast, you know, wanted to be traded to Victoria, chose Essendon. We, you know, gave up, I think it was a second round pick for him. He's a fucking great player. Like he's really good. He's been there three years, one contract. And he's like, I just want to be somewhere else. Like I just, I don't want to spend, you know, any more time here. I'm, I would rather go to Carlton, please. Um, and so again, we're assuming what those reasons might be, but like, I don't know, to me, that is not what happens at a place that, where it's really fucking great to work and, and and you love going to work and you can see success. So whether it's people not buying into Rutten, I don't know, um, or whether it's just a, so some more ingrained kind of cultural issues around the club, which I don't know, I subscribe to that sort of theory. It's, it's, it's all bad news. And so, you know, Andrew, congratulations on winning a final, a final. That's good. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a long time for us as well. I mean, obviously not as long as us. Hey, but at least you've seen a flag in your lifetime. So I guess you've That's got true. that going for you. Yeah, so it's true. There's, there's, May not see another ones. one. May not see another one. I've almost never been more disappointed than that drawn St Kilda Collingwood grand final 10 years ago because yeah. oh, like so many people game. just knew that for, for, I can't really explain why, but you just knew that if they played again, that Collingwood would just win. You just knew. So that like St Kilda just oh, had, I've got to, had tell you, to I win. didn't know that. I did. I didn't know that until, <laughs> re, until, um, 
Until He's Rewalt sure. uh, got uh, sure. got run down in the in the square, yeah, uh, yeah. Then I knew we were cooked. That, that, that was a, that, that was, was a bad early look. in the game. <laughs> you got to feel for the guy. But, that uh, no, drawn we, grand final, like Andrew, you probably don't, you don't want to listen to this. You might want to take the headphones off and disappear for a minute again. But oh my god, like that that game, that game was so yeah, good. Was Lindy sick. Hayes was so good, yeah, and that that Goddard mark that was sick. Oh man, unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. We used to host yeah, a grand final replay in Oslo at the pub and we had like a, there'd be like a hundred people would come. All the Australians that you could sort of round up would come and you, you made like a pact that everyone would avoid the score completely. Mm-hmm. So you watched it like eight hours after the match was finished, but no one knew, like we actually switched our phones off and like avoided it. And I've, I've never seen a place go nuts. Like when Goddard took that mark in the, in the yeah. last minutes, it was oh, just man. unbelievable. So no good luck to the Saints and to everyone else. The Lions are looking very good. I, I watch. I had the privilege of watching the Lions game, and I loved love that. I hadn't watched that much of them this season, but I can see why everyone talks so positively about how they play. I just that was just great. They play such a cool brand of football. And and after a year where my God, it felt like almost every game was pretty shit. Like for the for the whole season, like all four games in this first week of the finals were freaking excellent. Like just excellent. Yes, I wonder if it's a bit of a parallel with Test cricket where. There is quite a lot of crap test cricket, but when a good test happens, it reminds you of how good test cricket is. But it, it, it takes it takes a sort of a special thing or, or a special series like the 2005 Ashes series to, to remind you this can be really great if it's played a certain way and if there's a certain matchup. Um, but you have to sit through a few shitty ones to, to get to that. But maybe all sports are the same, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I always used to use that argument with my dad when he'd crap on about how how the game footy's been sanitized and it's not as good as it was in the eighties and blah blah blah. And it's just like you know he he'd watch he'd watch games and think they're all boring or everyone's kicking backwards or whatever his fucking complaint du jour was. And um, you know, like I just like you know, dad, back in eighty four, like I know you remember the really good games from that year, but like um, not every game was 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 as good as the grand final. Like Leon Baker didn't have a blind turn in the first. 15 seconds of the last quarter in every game come on like it didn't happen like not only that there's no way you had access to every game like no way <laughs> no, no so no, you you weren't right. seeing half the shit ones whereas now you can't avoid them so mm. yeah there's there's way more way oh, yeah. more to to yeah. assess yeah, yeah. There, there were shit players there were there were shit grounds that was part of the problem there were these mud heap grounds that that would just like half the season, you couldn't even see who was who because everyone was just brown with mud from the first yeah. second of the game. That that said, though, like it, it has not been an overly interesting on-field experience, I think, this year in, in the AFL. But, you know, certainly last week was unreal and I really hope that continues. Well, I, re- I rewatched um, I rewatched the nineteen or the, the highlights of the nineteen ninety one Grand Final. We've been giving a lot of shit to it because it was at Waverley and because of the Batmobile and all the rest of it. And I thought of it because the Batmobile just sold at auction for twenty five thousand dollars. Twenty five thousand, right? Uh, to a to a syndicate of, of of football fans, which is which is great. Like, good. Let let them do something fun with it because you know it's part for better or worse. It's part of uh, part of history. What could you do fun with it except burn it? Like it's not going to be fun to sit in or drive. Who's roadshow, like, Andrew? You can have your photo taken with it. You know, imagine that. Oh yeah. It seems like such a fun idea in theory. Like you know, like you get a message on the WhatsApp chat from you know bloke X going, "Hey, let's buy this," and everyone gets excited, and then you buy it, and it's cost you thousands of dollars, and then you got to realize it's got to be housed somewhere. Yeah, it's like, massive. Like, 
It's so, yeah, it's so it's unwieldy. It's yeah, you can't you can't drive it on the road. It doesn't have seat belts. It's just got this velvet interior that's just got like stadium seating in the back because people were being paraded around on it. What do you do with that thing besides take it to I guess the local the local fate and and <laughs> charge fifty cents for a picture? But, but how? Because you're going to need to put it on it on the back of a truck to take yes. it anywhere. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, yeah, not Vic easy. Roads are on record saying they will never issue a roadworthy certificate to it. So you <laughs> you will never be able to drive it, at least not in Victoria. So uh, so yeah, who knows? You bought something. You certainly have bought something. It's just a question of what to do with it. But yeah, I, w- I rewatched the 1991 Grand Final, and s- some of it is clearly it, it is a different game. As as you know, I guess that was easy to easy to predict, right? It's a different game. Some of it was more exciting, but it was kind of due to the fact that they were less skilled and less fit. So mm. there was a lot, there was a lot more variety. There was a lot less sort of just hard gut running up and down with everybody running a giant pack, but the skills were so much worse. And there were a lot of very limited players, even in grand final teams, but I think you can have good and bad games in every era. And this one was good, but the things that were really noteworthy, like if you actually watch most of a game from now, a shout out to a guy called Sam Walsh, who he was running AFL media back when I worked on that stuff. And he, he came up with these concepts or his team at the time came up with these things called the final story. And it was almost like a 30 for 30 ESPN style thing about the grandfathers. And they're really good. Like I, I wish uh, after he left, they stopped. I really wish they had kept them going because it's just great. It's like interviews and, and footage you hadn't seen before. Um, but yeah, the things that things in 1991 that you'll never see again, just mountains of shredded paper on the ground. Mm, mm. So, so much. I, I like, mm. Do people come with a bucket of it? I don't really know how mm. how they got that much onto the ground so effectively, but they they did. That the the idea that that we all remember from when we played football of someone takes a mark and then just sort of quote unquote making him earn it by just sort of <laughs> roughing him up and hurting him or landing on him with your knees. Like every time someone marked it, that happened every yeah. time. A guy ran out and did the goal umpire move next to the goal umpire. Like oh wow. Like Someone you would do, crowd. <laughs> like oh you would do God. at country football, which that I don't think you see that too often anymore. Which is a shame. Look, that's always been a funny, funny thing to do. Uh, obviously, Waverley, everyone's talked about the jumpers were weird. Like they were still woolen, and they were sort of just cut really differently. Like some of them had collars for starters, which is weird. Floppy collars, but the sort of the V was was wide, or the arms. Were, there was something about them that just looked. Re- and the Hawthorne stripes were really like a different thickness like everything was really weird to do with the way they looked in those jumpers and and the the final thing i laughed about was um the norm smith medal that year was won by a guy called paul deer who's the the sort of lesser known brother of greg deer our our famous ruckman it wasn't actually very good and paul Deer just played like he did play really well and he said accepted that norm smith medal still had his mouth guardian (laughs) (laughs) seems like an odd seems like an odd choice just you put the kid away there mate just you know, stand down. How long's the game been maybe, over for by that point? He's still got maybe, it in. Maybe he's worried about some haymakers in the car park. It feels like something I would do. I would just would have been so wrapped up in the moment I just forgot. And then all of a sudden I'm there on think, TV oh, trying to talk parents, to Louis the, the boys. We really got <laughs> the job done today. I would have yeah. been like the Carlton guy who stood up on the on the dais and fell off it forwards um, <laughs> in, in 95. I can't remember who it was, but someone stood up and fell a good distance off the balcony essentially 
So talking of footy eras, like, you know, obviously it's changed a lot. It's moved a lot from positional football and, you know, like making him earn it and stuff back in kind of the 80s and early 90s to, to what it is now. And, you know, it's been far more of a, you know, skills-based, you know, high-level aerobic kind of exercise sort of thing since what, like the uh, mid-2000s, I guess, you know, maybe early to mid-2000s. What, what's the best era, do you reckon? My view, my view on sport is nothing's better than the current era because everything gets faster, more skilled, equipment changes, training methods, technology. Everything gets better over time. No one wants to go back and look at the 1902 Tour Tour de France. The fucking guys are riding penny farthings or something. It's you want you want the best that have ever played playing the thing that you're watching. Surely, surely. That a bit. But like I, I think there's look yes in and in some sports I think that that's absolutely right. I, I suppose what I'm thinking is where there's a sport like NFL or the AFL where there's been rule changes to, for instance, make it a bit safer or something. Like there's there, there's a sweet spot there where there was still some of the stuff that we kind of grew up with, you know, watching like you know still some 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 heavy bumps and 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 whatnot that you just do not see in the game anymore and there's a sweet spot where that stuff was still allowed but there was still a certain level of skill so i'm i'm kind of thinking you know late 90s or something was there a period of time there where you know the game was fast and skillful but you still kind of had the odd kind of big hit and hip and shoulder and and stuff like that that you kind of just don't see as much anymore you don't see as much of that but there are way more guys kicking like ridiculous goals now. I think than before not it used to be really, or well, not this year maybe. But <laughs> oh, there's been some bloody good goals this year. That GWS guy from the pocket. Yeah, the creativity of scoring I think has gone up broadly compared to it used to be just a Dacos who was unbelievable at it, but he was a bit of a one-off. But now you see every team's got a couple of those guys that can do that. You know, I feel like that's a better thing. Plus, you know, I mean, obviously interchanges and all sorts of, of other rules and things have, have changed the speed of the game. But I just feel like, you know, over, over time, the population of quality players gets better as the game develops. So therefore, the game is notionally better in my eyes. Although the skill level of the players is clearly, clearly superior. And, and the advances of sports science also make it, it, you shouldn't actually compare eras because back in the day, it was unusual for an athlete to keep playing after they turned 30, whereas now they know better. They've got proper diets. They take ice baths the second they finish. They have people, you know, who, who really know how to look after them. Um, and so they can, you know, everything about it is, is different. Whereas in the old days, they're having cigarettes at halftime. So yeah, it's an interesting debate. I guess it's part of the interest of sport is that you should, you know, it's it's fun to debate certain things and, and all the rest of it. But hindsight is also tw- is is also always rosy colored glasses, right? Like people love to yeah, look yeah. backwards. They love to look backwards with fondness. So they do they do ascribe a certain level of uh, you know excellence to things that maybe didn't deserve it. But also there there were a lot of great things that happened, and that's um you know that's true too. Andrew, thank you, by the way, last week for your tips on children's television. We've been getting through a few of those, so I appreciated that. Oh, very good. Uh, Ranch, what have you been watching recently? Got anything, got anything that's worth, worth a mention on your, on your um, watch list? I've been watching The Boys the last couple of weeks, which is... I just started there yesterday. So it's an Amazon Prime show and it's, um, it's, it's based on a, on, a, on a comic book by a guy called, I think it's Garth Ennis, and he's kind of renowned for... You know, comic books that are usually a bit, you know, kind of pushing the envelope a bit and, you know, superheroes who are 
actually kind of ruthless pieces of shit and whatever. And that, that's kind of what the boys is, you know, like it is, it's a group of superheroes who are heavily corporatized and heavily marketed, which is actually quite interesting to see, um, you know, but at their core, they're, they're kind of then corrupted by, um, you know, by some of that power. And it's kind of, you know, what happens if dot, dot, dot. Um, I'd, I'd heard um, that it was quite a violent show and it kind of put me off and I didn't really hear too many people saying wonderful things about it when it came out a couple of years ago, but it's actually not bad. It's, it's, it's incredibly violent and perhaps too much, but I think that's just probably an ode to the, to the source material itself. Um, so you kind of, you know, if you're going to make the show, I think you probably just have to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty good. Um, they, in the second season, they, they made some pretty good kind of creative choices and certain characters and kind of what they what they did with them um which is which is you know nice and the kind of the 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 main kind of um antagonist in this show is truly excellent like i I think he's a he's a really really good bad guy so to speak so um yeah i would i would certainly i would give it a recommend i think it's uh, the boys thumbs up from the range the boys and it's available via amazon Amazon, that's right. You keep stuffing those stockings in mine, Ranch. Just keep paying the piper. <laughs> the the other one I started watching, and Andrew, I know you watched it too, so you might comment on it, was this German documentary called something that I can't remember. You might look that up while I'm talking. The Perfect Andrew. Murder, I believe. The Perfect Murder. It's a four-part documentary series. I'm only kind of halfway through it at the moment, but it's basically the assassination of this kind of political guy slash kind of captain of industry in um in east germany um or sorry in the in the newly formed kind of germany in like 91 or something like that by you know some um by some underhanded folks and just to me anything set in germany in that time is incredibly interesting um and so certainly the first couple of episodes of that i thought was i thought was great but andrew what did you think about it overall yeah i thought it was good thank you for and you, and you put me onto it which was um, very kind of you yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Again, it's it's you know that um, you know breakup of of the well the, the sep- then separated um, German sides, uh, which was really interesting because you don't I haven't seen a lot of stuff on that era or no. particularly about Germany, so that was interesting, and the way they tried to reunify and, and the complexities around bringing all of that that sort of eastern side communist sort of structure back into commercial reality of, 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 you know, a fairly modern Europe by that stage. It was pretty interesting. And all of the potential, you know, benefactors to, to have potentially murdered this, this mm. guy who was in charge of that process. So yeah, really, really good one. Interesting one. I uh, recommend and, and just the volume and complexity that, you know, like, like the, the guy who gets murdered is the guy who's, you know, kind of job it is, is to basically, you know, in a simplistic way, kind of, you know, work his way through the 15,000 different kind of organizations that were being run effectively, I guess, I don't know, by the state or whatever in, um, in, in East Germany. And, you know, all of them are inoperable. Like they're, they're, they're like they're, they're just these, these sick, tired, awful kind of broken businesses. And it's his job to kind of work through that and make them profitable. And so like, there's just countless people kind of being put out of work as a result of the decisions that this guy needs to make. And it's just around, you know, he's basically the guy kind of caught in between, 
you know, this, this communist system and the free market in, in the rest of Europe and like, how do you kind of bridge that gap? It's so fascinating in, in that respect. And just, you know, to kind of, to kind of be put in that time in that country um, for, for a few hours, I thought was, was certainly, well, it's been fascinating for me so far for the first couple of episodes anyway. So a perfect murder. And that is on Netflix. Uh, no, I would go there, right? It's a, a perfect crime. So perfect close. crime. So close. A perfect crime. murder, I think is a nineties um, movie with Gwyneth Paltrow. Possibly. I think it's also a podcast or something. Probably. And, um, maybe Michael Douglas? Is that the same? I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> sure. mm-hmm. We don't want to Don't watch that. Don't watch that. Watch, watch, the, watch the Netflix docuseries uh, of Perfect Crime instead. Switching. Oh, gee, I, didn't, I didn't know Gwyneth Paltrow was in Eastern Germany. That's oh, weird. Palace. She gets around, doesn't she? She and the Goop gang? Yeah, selling candles over the Berlin Wall, just dangling them. With that goop thing, she, she must be taking the piss, mustn't she? Her, her sort of health and wellness cult thing that she's starting, she must be doing that with a wink in her eye because it's, it's know, so Dave. dumb. Isn't she just doing it for attention? Some of those Hollywood types of fucking Scientologists. Who knows what the fuck goes on over there, really? I can't, I can't deal with that. Like right now with everything that's going on, I can't, I can't deal with this culture. I can't. What have I been watching? Oh, two things. Firstly, we're loving Disney Plus here because it's only just launched in Norway. So um, that's that's been a thrill. Uh, our oldest is super into Toy Story. So we've discovered the Toy Story short films are actually really fun. There's only four of them. Oh, yeah. But yep. the, uh, the P- Partysaurus Rex, the one we watched today, is exceptionally good. It's a six-minute or eight-minute piece. It's bloody brilliant. So, uh, yep. yeah, go digging for those if you haven't seen them already on Disney Plus. Something I've only watched five minutes of, but I can tell already that it's awesome, is the new... Uh, Sir David Attenborough doco on Netflix called Life on Our Planet. I'm a big fan of, of his. Um, I actually met him. I got him in my old gig in the TV business. Uh, BBC invited us to a private screening with Sir David of uh, his series called Dynasties, which I didn't love. Uh, we, went to, we went to BAFTA. Turns out that BAFTA, is, as well as being a body, has like a clubhouse in London where they do screenings. and they, It's not really a clubhouse, but it's like a, a space, right? And so we went to, me and the people from my team went to a screening at the BAFTA headquarters uh, with Sir David. And this guy, back then he was 92, I think he's 94 now. He was something else. Like at 92, he looked and acted and spoke like a 60-year-old. Like the only thing you could sort of tell that he was old, he was a tiny bit frail getting up and down steps. So they sort of stage managed him a bit and they, they got him up in an elevator instead of being closer. In every other way possible, you would swear that he was 60 and we just sat around. I mean, I met him for like two seconds, but most of it was him sitting on stage, just shooting the shit with these, basically it's friends of his that he made it with. And um, it was super cool. And I actually, I had lunch with one of the producers afterwards and I was like, what's he, what's it like working with this guy? Is he, is he, is he like super kind of careful with him? <laughs> Cause you know, I, I sort of, I found an elegant way of saying, are you super careful with him? Because he's such a treasure and he's so old and you know, do you keep him in a glass case, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, no, no. He's like, no, no, we have to stop him from doing stuff. Like he wants to get in the helicopter and he wants to carry all the cameras. And he's like, he's, he's so into it that we have to slow him down. And he was so cool. Um, there was a round table with him and I ended up giving that job to one of my team members because I was trying to be a good leader, but I should have done it myself. <laughs> I, sh- I, sh- I should have done it myself instead of letting him do it. But he was, he was so, so vibrant and inspiring in, in person. And, and in his, the production, like the, the, the BBC series they used to do, the production values were so insane. Like these people would, would they'd shoot like 900 hours of footage just to get that one little scene. It would be a guy who lives in Antarctica for six months because they really want to see this one thing that this penguin can do. 
Um, and the Netflix one, they wouldn't be spending the same money that the BBC or investing the same energy that the BBC do. But um, you can tell even after two minutes watching it that it's just going to be, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I, I, I am amazed by the production schedule of those shows. Like, you know, what, what you just said, I, I guess I just presumed that that is the case. Just, you know, they have to just go to this one spot and just wait for an eternity for this one thing to happen so they can get, you know, 30 seconds of footage of that Falcon bloody doing whatever. It, it, is, it is remarkable. And so, but, but it's not like in, in one series, like they'll just kind of focus on this, you know, one particular moment. Like there's 16 of those moments, an episode usually. Like it just, it absolutely blows my mind. Like the, the cost of that is, is mind boggling to me. Yeah, it is. But it's also worth it. Like the thing that I didn't realize when I was thinking about that initially was that animal stuff and natural, the natural world is so universal that you can sell that into every yeah, yeah. single market on earth. And if you've already got the cachet of the BBC natural history kind of series, then you've already, you basically can sell anything that you make. And so it's an insane investment, but it, it, it just repays itself because it, it translates so perfectly across cultures and mm. across markets that you can just easily have that in every country just like that. So yeah, that's a, that's a recommend uh, for me. One I, I thought I'd watch and I, is a non-recommend is an animated series called Hoops. If yeah, you're thinking about watching it, don't. I, I watched it because it stars the guy from New Girl who played Nick Miller, who I always found funny. I thought New Girl was a good show. And his animated show Hoops, no, it ain't it. It's just... It's trying too hard. It's sort of trying to be edgy and be like big mouth or something. I don't, maybe I'm yeah. not the audience for it, but it's, it was shit. So don't bother with that one. I was, I was hoping it might be like big mouth, which is just so great, but yeah. So what's so good about big mouth? I've never really gotten into it. I don't quite get it. Have you watched it? No. Andrew, oh, are, are you on it as well? Or is this just a ranch thing? No, no, I'm on it. I'm on what it do you heavy. think about it? Why are you watching it? It's, it's very good and it appeals to me, I suppose. <laughs> it's probably That's kind of what I was gonna say. I was be like, I don't really know how to answer that besides saying it's funny. Let me rephrase that. Like what what is it that's funny about it? Like it why laughs is it and laughs. No, it's um well, first of all, it's pretty fucking dirty, um, which is, is funny. And a lot of the a lot of the people doing the the voices of the characters are people who I genuinely like yeah, as performers in general. So I think for all those reasons, it appeals. And just something about the, the writing here yeah, hits pretty strong. So, yeah, it, it ticks a lot of boxes. I think probably the, the couple of things that spring to mind, yes, it's dirty and it's well-written, but it's also like I, it kind of captures the anxiety of being a, a prepubescent kind of teenager as well. Like I think it, it kind of captures that really well, which given that it's just adults doing the voices and writing it is you know it could be creepy but they actually pull it off really well and then the like creatively how they represent you know like when a when when a kid is kind of feeling a certain urge or they're kind of feeling hormonal or whatever like how they kind of represent that um in the animation is 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 really fucking clever and like the songs are really well written it's just a fucking great show like it's really good it's really good you you should watch this show david i have to start well i've got time Having said that, you know, we're going hard on that. And fuck, everyone's got to love it, got to love it, got to love it. But as you and I know, there's been some some pretty big fanboy uh, out of this podcast for Shits Creek over the recent couple of weeks. And I could take that show and shit on it for what I think of it. So we can all have different opinions on stuff. Although, like, Boots said he couldn't watch it. I said I couldn't watch it. And you said you couldn't watch it either. So like, I love it. So is it just Sam and, and Dave? I love it. 
Have you watched the second season or did you, did you watch the first? No, no. So I, I, I got like three, I think we got three episodes in and we were just like, this is like, this is, this is killing me to even just have this on. Um, but I have heard that clearly it's, it's now a very good show. My, my question for you, Dave, is when should I start watching it? Because I am not repeating Season not two. going from the start. So just, so just pick it up in season two. You yeah. It, I, I can tell that it still has more improvement to come, but it's, it's eminently watchable. It, it's basically season two is very reminiscent of Arrested Development. Right. When arrested, it's a, maybe not peak Arrested Development, but like an average good Arrested Development. That's what season two is like. And apparently it gets better after that. Yeah, and it's a similar I, sort I watched, of conceit. It's like rich, rich family kind of, you know, like lose everything yeah. and need to need to kind of, you know, I don't know, adapt their lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a similar Fish out sort of water thing and all the rest in of that it. respect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 hearing the podcast and hearing some someone either Sam or, or Dave talk about jumping forward and starting it in season X, Y, Z, I just watched three random episodes from each season. They all fucking reeked. So I'd say stop the whole fucking thing. All right. So, so that's a no from uh, from Andrew on that. Well, it's a good yes, good round of good round of tips and good I honesty. In, I put in the hours. I, you know, I watched uh, like ten plus episodes spread throughout the you know the three or four seasons. Uh, no thumbs that's, down for me. That, that's all we ask. You know, if, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And uh, that, yeah, that's, that's 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 fine. That's why, that's why we're such a respected outlet. You know, we tell it how it is. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why. That's why. Probably just the other one that I will just continue to push. Okay, this show's a few years old now, and it came out the same year that Fleabag came out. And when Fleabag came out, I was just saying, this is a 10 out of 10 show. It is amazing. It is perfect. I, I will guarantee that anyone will like it. The other show that came out that year that was also the same, and Andrew, I know you're with me on this, is Patriot. It's on Amazon if it, like I, I think I was telling it might've been Cammy this week to check it out again. I, it's there's basically no show that I would really want to go back and rewatch. Um, you know, that, that, that isn't, you know, one of the, the big kind of classic ones, this one, I'm kind of itching to do it. It is, it is so good. And Dave, I think you, and I think definitely Sam. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah, probably Boots as well would, would would certainly like it. I think kind of most of our mates would. It is incredibly creative. It's fucking funny. Um, it's weird. Uh, it does stuff that just no other show has ever done, um, and it's amazing. Sounds great. It's it sounds like my my type of bag. So you're saying it's better than Designated Survivor? Is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, let's I mean, say yes. It's been a while. Seven ten, seven ten split on that one, but yeah, it's uh, it's incredibly good, incredibly good. I love it. Good round of uh, of TV stuff. So uh, yeah, some recommendations out there. If anyone else has something they want us to to review, then send it to dickandhamshow at gmail dot com. Hey, I want to quickly before we finish play a, a a game, a guessing game. I came across a funny thread uh, the other day about rules that were implemented in earnest but then had to be rolled back because because of unexpected things that happened so trying to do the right thing by introducing a rule and then something bad happens had to stop so i think what i want to do is read the rule and you guys have to guess why they had to stop it should we do it yeah do it all right i'll give you a few easy ones to start with so domino's pizza once brought in a policy of all pizzas be delivered within 30 minutes or it would be free and it did not last long why People were sending the pizzas to Wallaby Way in Sydney. <laughs> I, my, my guess would be that people would just lock their doors until the 30 minutes expired uh, so they could be handed the, the goods. Uh, the reason why they had to stop was that the 
money for the pizza would be taken out of the driver's paycheck if they didn't get it within 30 minutes. So there were so many car accidents of the drivers driving too fast oh, so yeah. that they wouldn't have it taken out of their paycheck. Yeah, see, that was a that Mark Lawrence could have answered that one quite quite rapidly, being a, a former pizza delivery man himself. That's something that he would know. Uh, in Athens in the 80s, the government were trying to work out how to stop pollution. So they brought in a rule that on alternating days, you could only have an odd number number plate, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then even number, number plates could drive on the other days. And they had to stop that pretty quickly. Why? Because... And what happened was every, everybody bought a second car and everybody's second car was a shittier car with worse emission problems than their first. <laughs> so it made pollution worse and it also made traffic worse. So they made, it, they made everything worse. Right. That's no good. Andrew, this might be one that you could, you could imagine your way through to the answer on this one. Oh, okay, great. Another one in Canada seems to be the Canadians with the creative solutions to problems. In Alberta, Canada, there's a rule in uh, adult venues in strip clubs Patrons must keep a two meter distance from dancers. This is this is before COVID. There was a rule that patrons at a strip club would have to keep a two meter buffer from dancers, and they had to change that rule. Why? Well, my assumption well, it could go a bunch of ways, but my assumption would be you could no longer, you know, stuff the dollar bills in the g strings of the the dancers so they're not earning their tips. Correct. Yeah, the only currency that can travel that far are metal one dollar coins and two dollar <laughs> coins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote, the goal here was to protect the safety and dignity of dancers, but unfortunately the dancers have become reduced to fleshy coin toss targets. That's, that's not good. All right, Ranch. It's backfired. Ranch, I want you to, you can work this one out. A college bar had a happy, a happy hour promotion, 50 cents per beer, all the way forward until the first person in the bar goes to the toilet and has a wee. What happened? Uh, Why did they cancel happy hour? A lot of people were pissing their pants at the bar. Uh, yeah, people were pissing in trash cans, but also wearing NASA-style adult nappies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, Na- NASA had adult nappies? <laughs> well, as in, like, you, you know, when you're t- in a spacesuit, I think what Dave's alluding to there is something that can really hold a fair bit of uh, liquid over a period of time. Oh my God. Yeah. Who would think that through so much? Well, it was a college bar. So it's college kids. They needed 50 cent beers and, and teenage. A couple you know, of engineering students and some fucking duct tape. You got yourself a fucking nappy right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there was a city, it doesn't say which city, had an issue with loud motorcycles. So they installed decibel readers with a, with a reading on it as a deterrent. What happened? That seems like a good idea. I can't think of what went wrong with this one. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds pretty Well, no, p- people started driving up to the machine and revving up their bikes to see who could win by being the loudest uh, yeah. and getting the high score. Yeah. But I yeah, assume there's obvious. a similar problem when they started putting breathalyzer machines on the wall of pubs. Uh, it yeah. just ended up being a game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's basically, a, it turns into a record system. So that's our thread for this week of rules that, that backfire. So design your rules carefully, I guess, is the, uh, is the lesson from that. So tune in next week where we'll have an updated edition of Around the Campfire with Boots. Please send in emails to dickandhamshow at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, we're a little bit hot tonight. I can barely see the road from the heat coming on.